We left your hands for your people to find. I'm gonna cut out your tongue next. And we're gonna leave that on your mother's doorstep. Then I'm gonna take your eyes and I'm gonna hand them to your daughter. But we're not gonna touch those ears. Would you like to know why? So you can hear all the life that you'll be missing. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Oh, we're going to talk about all kinds of crazy sex shit today. <laughs> Are we? Do we have to? I mean, we're just talking about the show, man. Just talk about the show. I didn't do if it. You see so boy. I mean, somebody gets a gets maple thorped. Yeah, yeah, there's a whip that goes up with nothing but spit. Mm-hmm. God, I haven't done that since college. As, as nature's natural lubricant. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, if you're cool, man, we're just going to dive into this because... Well, I uh, thought you were already recording. <laughs> I, I, well, I have been recording, but I didn't actually start the show yet. Well, start the show then. Hey, everybody. It's the start of the show. <laughs> this is uh, Bo, and with me is Duncan. Hi, I'm Duncan. And uh, this is Duncan and Bo Come Correct, uh, a tiny little division. Actually, fuck. I fucked that up. This is... <laughs> Duncan and Bo are too old to die young, a tiny little division of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, uh, in which this season we are taking a look at the Nicholas Winding Refn uh, series, Too Old to Die Young. Um, and this, like, we are almost done, Duncan. Yep. This is... We are. The end is nigh. Yeah. We have, we have seen the majority of it. We have, we have seen the resolution today on uh, this show. We are going to bid a fond adieu to uh to some characters Mm -hmm. um and yeah man it there is some there is some fucking murder and mayhem to get to yeah Uh, there's like after the fun that we were having in the previous couple episodes uh and those moments where we're like did they just play mandy in a car drive you know like jokes about electric cars um the levity is gone in these two episodes and we're going to be saying goodbye to some of the most memorable characters we've ever seen. Um, and at the same time, just when you think you kind of know what Wounded Reference formula is, at the end of the last episode, episode number eight, we're going to we're going to deliver a little bit of news to you if you're not watching the show that will prove that even sometimes old dogs still have new tricks to shock. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's. It's gonna be really, really something. Um, so let before we get into that, because we we certainly will. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to discuss uh, something we've seen, you know, good and bad uh, over the course of the week. Um, and and so let's get started, Duncan. Uh, what have you been watching? Give me give me something give me something shitty you've been saying uh, <laughs> that we can goof on. The thing is, um, I have been doing so much. 90s watching recently that like for for my other show that there hasn't been much that i have actually said that's been shitty like everything's been of a kind of decent to great quality so it, it makes it makes i know that's not the answer you want what your an- answer for me that you want is bo have you ever seen this piece of shit and then you're like yeah i've totally seen that or no no tell me more about that piece of shit um but i, I don't really it's weird i don't have it like um, I think the closest thing that comes to a not very good movie is uh, Mimic, which I'm watching for. I think you're on that episode yeah. as well, yeah, '97 uh, show. Um, yeah, not a good movie at all. I had I had fonder memories of it 
And I think over time I've been like, well, Guillermo del Toro directed that movie, so of course it's great. Um, not very good. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't know that I would call it a bad movie. I think it's real mediocre. Yeah, but I think, well, I think in comparison to the the man's catalog of work, is the worst movie he's done uh, by some bit. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have an Blade example. Blade Two is better. Blade Two is a hundred percent better. Right, Cronus is better. The Devil's Backbone is better. Hellboy 1 and 2 are better. Um, fucking Pan's Labyrinth a million times better. The Shape of Water is better. Crimson Peak's better. It's yeah. his worst movie. Yeah, okay. I'm with you now. Yeah, that guy. It's only when you think back of it. That guy, pretty fucking amazing director. That movie, Hollywood trash. <laughs> it really, really is. It's a trashy, mediocre Hollywood movie that clearly he did in order to allow him to do something like The Devil's Backbone. That was Del Toro's thing. He would do one for the studios, get some money, then go back and make a passion project. And most of those, though, like when you look at Hellboy, for example, or Blade 2, most of those are at least, if they're not great movies, they're fun fucking movies. Yeah, like even like Hellboy 2 in particular is one of those movies that I think is incredibly slight you know yeah. in, in his catalog but it's a tremendous amount of fun yeah it's so much fun and then when you look at mimic mimic doesn't have the fun and i think when you take the fun out of a movie like that it, you end up starting to really kind of double down on what is this character doing why is he doing that what are we doing here these effects have been held up you know what i mean it's and yeah it's not the worst movie I've seen, and like by any stretch of the imagination. And it's probably not the worst movie I've seen this month, but in the last week I have watched that movie, and it is the the least good movie I I saw. <laughs> the least good movie. Uh, I'll tell you. You know what? In that vein, let me say uh, I also. This is not a bad review of a th- of a mm-hmm. thing, but I finished season three of Stranger Things. Oh right, so I'm interested about this one because we know that you're. Your tolerance for the the eighties nostalgia uh, was at was at peak flow about what two episodes into season two. Yeah, um, I, I I was checking my Netflix viewing history and I made it exactly two episodes into season two before I cut bait on that one. Yeah, um, so like I thought that you might be more interested in season three because season three at least has humor, which. Season two did not have any humor at all. This one at least had humor. Um, it was kind of more like a, I don't know. I I felt it, it felt more like the Goonies than anything else. I had a kind of a Goonies vibe to, except without um, you know One-Eyed Willie and the Fratellis, you had um, Russians. Yeah, and of course, by the Fratellis, you mean the the Scottish pop band. Yeah, of course. Um, great. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, they sing Henrietta and, and do a, a, a jaunty tune. I uh, am very surprised that you know who they are, actually. That's kind of caught me a bit. Uh, um, I, li- I actually like the Fratellis. I, I think would they're a Would not surprise me. Yeah. Not surprise me. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I, was, I think I've heard almost every Fratelli song now that I think about it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, point being, Duncan. No, I... So, yeah, I wasn't crazy about season two. I, I wasn't really that crazy about season one. And I think that's why I bailed so quick on season two Yeah, was that it was like, well, this feels like more of the same and I kind of don't care. Um, I made it all the way through season three and that's underselling it. I, I enjoyed season three. Um, nice. I thought I thought it was real gooey in a way yeah. I appreciated uh, with people just melting into puddles of just shit um, <laughs> and sewage and uh so I, I thought that was fun. I thought all like 
I couldn't remember who the characters were. So yeah. all through the season, I was. It, it took me till about episode four when I was like, "Oh, the kid from it isn't the the kid that got abducted in the first season." Yeah, because I had totally forgotten about that. And anyway, uh, didn't matter. I, I still had a good time with it, and I thought uh, I thought it was pretty funny. I thought David Harbor was uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, David David Harbor's like like almost the MVP completely through. And, and once again, it's it's just a, a good reminder that you know Winona Ryder can actually act. I know she's done some movies that have questioned that for me, but she's playing the right level of quirky weirdness and yes. there to make me smile. Yeah, yeah, I. I... I really enjoyed um, Winona Ryder as well. Like she is this little imp of a person that that yeah. prances through the episodes, uh, which I enjoy. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I I thought here here's the things I would say uh, that I didn't enjoy about the season mm-hmm. is that it it was set around the mall in a way that I expected that to be. There, I expected there to be some level of commentary, especially when up front they showed yeah. Day of the Dead, and I was like, "Oh, they're they're showing a Romero film in a mall, and there's going to be some comment uh, about mall culture." And and there kind of is in the sense that they talk about how the mall is kind of stealing local jobs, but that doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it, that that feels like a thread that's sort of abandoned just to get to the more saturday matinee aspects of the series yeah um, the, the mall the mall is used as a, a, like uh it's almost like a kind of north kind of almost like a, a bond villain-esque substation to this you know what i mean it's like a, a very elaborate way of having you know it's all done through the mall and you know and I, I, I was like you i kind of expected them to lean more into it to begin until i realized that it was purely like as pure that to me is purely a vehicle for his nostalgia. Yeah, and I, and I think I was kind of disappointed with that. That it was just it, it was just like, hey, remember the malls? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, <laughs> I think I think you're missing a hot topic store somewhere in there, but all right. Um, <laughs> so you know that that part of it was kind of fine. You know, I I, I wish there had been a little something more to it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, all that said, I I found it fun. Uh, by the end of the season, I thought uh, they they left things in a place where. Uh, look, let me just say this up front. Skip ahead for about I don't know a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you if you have not seen season three and just don't want anything spoiled for you, because I'm going to drop one little detail about the end of season three. But I do think that the fact that uh, David Harbour is missing at the end of that is one of the most telegraphed, like, oh, at the end of it, when somebody talks about the American. Yeah, but the, what I was reading online is that might not be who we think it is. The common kind of now powerful theory online is that it's actually the Doctor from season one. Uh, maybe. I, I just don't think there's any chance at I all. think yeah I think it'll be like it'd be daft not to bring him back he's easily one of the best characters and you get your emotional hooks in and put it that way like my wife was in tears at the end of it and I was like oh come on he'll be fine you know <laughs> yeah so yeah I think but I like that though that to me is how you know even paying back to movies from the 80s that's how things happen then as well so I I, I kind of feel like it's earned you know what I mean I don't think it's just 
I was just going to throw in a cliche for a sake of throwing in a cliche. They left it away, which kind of made me happy. But you have a climactic ending to an episode, which involves a scene where two characters duet, never-ending story, and you have my attention forever. Like that, I, I laughed so hard that I think a little bit of pee came out. <laughs> um, uh, like just the the way that whole thing was built up, and then the delivery. It was just like, yeah, I, I, there was so much that I really dug about it. Um, and so much that I thought, like they when they do go dark in that show at times and kill off characters, mm-hmm. and like the post events of that town, there's a lot of times people dead, and it'll be interesting to see what the next season, which has been confirmed as the final season, is going to do with that. So they're going to have to do it post and try and bring the characters back for one last push against whatever the you know the the upside down is going to try and bring on. And if that does bring back a certain character, then I'm all for it, man. You'd be like, I want, I want Winona Ryder to be happy at the end with the person that cares for her. You know what I mean? Yes. And that they've played that along through three seasons now that that's a logical ending for that story. That yeah. kid gets the family he's always wanted. He gets stability and, and all that thing. So I, I want to see that. Even if the sci-fi stuff doesn't live up to exactly what I want, um, as long as they, as long as they can try and bring all that in together, I tell you, I've never been so sad about a slight character, you know. And like, see the Russian guy. Oh, I know. Alexei was oh. terrific. Yeah, I kind of oh. fell in love with with the buddy duo of Alexei and the conspiracy dude. Yeah, the conspiracy dude's absolutely amazing. Yeah, but um, like, see what he's like. He's like telling them to nod in Russian. Yeah. Yeah, like their whole conversation about how the fair games are rigged. Yeah, and Alexi having that moment where he wins and then gets and, and then gets cut down. It was like now that if this show did that all the time, it would be the best fucking show ever. <laughs> but it, but instead, it feels like yes, there was there was that repercussion for that character. But yeah. I, but in the final episode, I never felt like there was any real threat to the main characters. It was like, there's, yeah. no, there's no way they're going to kill this character because that's just not how this show goes. Yeah, but let, let, let me pivot here just a little bit, not not to, to, to get on my high horse too much. Do you feel the same way when you go and watch superhero movies? Well, no, but I, I have a different expectation of those films. And and maybe you're right. Maybe I mean, you're right. Yeah, yeah maybe. I, I, think that, I think they're there to serve exactly. The Netflix crowd is not the film... Our TV show critic the, crowd, the refin, I mean? the refin crowd, the, um, the refin crowd. You know what I mean? The, the, yeah. the Netflix crowd are you know are the the you know the the Marvel crowd in a lot of respects. They they try and hit as many bases, and that does mean giving you something familiar and not necessarily fully challenging at times. Um, and yeah. I think you just go with that. And yeah, I think, but I think that's a fair criticism, Bo. I think, you know, three seasons into a TV show, which is the highest downloaded and watched TV show on Netflix, you know, you no one's cancelling your show if you kill a character off in a challenging way. You know what I mean? You've got that yeah. next season. Especially, so, especially for how dark the show tends to get. Yeah. It, it feels like, oh, there should be more consequence with the main character. Like, if this threat is that gruesome and this horrible, like, one of these characters should have bit it. Especially because we're adding to the roster of characters with, mm-hmm. you know, like, with the introduction of Robin and, and uh, Darla. And it's like, oh, I love these characters, but one of them should die. Mm-hmm. Uh, preferably Darla. Not not for any other reason than she's the young one, and that would be terrifying. But, <laughs> but it also gives you a moment. Like, I, I am not one 
that that trades in the nostalgia of that show but i have to admit there there's a moment where uh the dustin character and his like long distance girlfriend seeing the theme to the never ending story yeah. that i thought was really sweet and charming and i of course I, it is uh, like it lands in there and the fact it doesn't just give you like a couple of lines it does pretty much the whole song and i'll tell you when it finished i was like that i need to watch the never ending story and that is a movie that I enjoy, but has not held up over time. Right, right. And, but also the character, and, and maybe what I liked about it is later the characters give him shit about what a bad song it is, really. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it is a shitty song, but also the fact that it's sort of their song is, is mm-hmm. what makes it special. And, you know, so again, it, it, it is, it was probably the best season in my opinion. I would agree. It's my favorite season. Uh, just because it, there were enough oddball characters and and that kind of thing that that pushed it along. I felt like uh, the character of Lucas had nothing to do this season. Uh, he was just kind of along that for old, the ride. Yeah, that old. Every season, there's one character that seems to just not have as much to do. Um, and yeah, Lucas kind of fell in with that, which is a shame because I really like his relationship with uh, the ginger haired girl. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool, and I, I'm like that. Give us more of that because they are the relationship in a lot of respects that Eleven and uh, Wolfhard's characters are. They're you know they've got a kind of <laughs> they're trying to base it off a lot of what those guys are doing. So that a bit more time with them just interacting would have been would have been a ton of fun. That yeah, I, th- I felt he kind of got pushed to the side but that's the danger of bringing in lots of new characters like his little sister was an absolute delight in the show yes yes uh so like, she got harsh very 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 funny yeah and the 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 whole conversation about like you're a nerd and here's yeah. why i thought that was that was again the show at times is perfectly charming and and really wonderful i i just don't I don't know that it's a terribly weighty show. Like, it's a show that if every now and again I'm checking my phone or something, I don't feel bad about that. I don't feel necessarily locked into it the way that... Like, if I'm watching Too Old to Die uh, hard, um, uh, that I'm like, I can't do anything but soak in what the fuck is happening here. Yeah, yeah. You, you, there is no... There is no... I'll just lift up my phone and see if someone's texts me. You know, like, sure. you have to either wait till the end of the show or pause that shit yeah, right right um all right but so what, what's the best thing you you've seen recently um this should be no surprise to anyone uh i've actually just dropped an episode on it and um, the new jim jarmusch horror comedy uh i'll keep wanting to say too old to die young but that's not right it's too uh, dead to to die happy <laughs> the dead don't die yeah so uh yeah i really like that like that, that got like a solid four and that might go up in a repeat watch um th- to be fair i had to travel um to go and see it because it wasn't showing at my local cineplex and uh, i had to do a little bit of traveling um it's a weird one <laughs> it's a really 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 weird movie I'm fairly sure like 90% of people that go and see that movie will not enjoy it. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but that's true of any Jarmish film, you know. This is, what I, this is what I was saying on my episode, that if you look at the movie costs like $6.5 to make, I'm assuming a lot of the actors that are in the movie, because of the names, are doing it because they are from the kind of stable of actors that Jarmish works with. 
So they're they must be doing it for very small fees because like that, that acting roster they are not joking when they put that as the tagline for the movie that you know it's the most star studded or most a listed um, zombie movie of all time because it is it's just a who's who of a list actors that you've seen before. Um, so it, the movie cost about six and a half million to make, and I think its opening weekend it, it brought in two and a half, which you know I mean that's surprisingly strong for a Jarmusch movie um, that it might break even and I, I think if it does then that should be considered a success for Jarmusch just because he doesn't always <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah, no, he I'm with you Yeah, He doesn't make movies to make money he makes movies to, to make movies um, Some observations about it that I thought, I thought the casting was brilliant, I thought Adam Driver Adam Driver and Tom Waits about steal the entire fucking movie. Um, Tom Waits especially, who plays a, plays a character called uh, Hobo Bob, mm-hmm. um, and he's homeless and he lives in the woods. And um, as shit's going down, he is just he's kind of he's like the voice from Vigo's radio station. <laughs> like, right. He's like uh, as the world collapses around me, I look over there and I see society, the dregs of society. You know, like he's just like. He's a great character to watch. Uh, Bill Murray is delightful uh, to watch in it, but Adam Driver's really good. He's more the main protagonist, so to speak. Um, there's Trumpian undertones. Uh, there's there's a uh, Steve Buscemi walks around wearing a white hat that says "Make America White Again." Sure. And um, he has this big long conversation with one of his friends in the neighborhood which is Danny Glover <laughs> like doesn't see the the conflict uh there at all but so he's very kind of Trumpian um Tilda Swindon is fucking amazing with our Scottish accent and uh our samurai sword um like I did not know Caleb Landry Jones is in it and he's fucking amazing again mm. so you've got him Rizza shows up um he manages to like segue in a Wu Tang joke, so he he works for UPS, or as it's written on his uniform, Wu PS. Nice. Um, which was like, oh yes. Um, and the story, <laughs> the, the thirty nine movie... packages of the Wu. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, the Wu Tang killer parcels. Here we go. Um, <laughs> Um, so, but the the movie is like hyper aware of everything, and I think that's where it might put people off. It's very deadpan humor, and the characters are making commentary about horror comedies, about comedies, about movies in general, about uh, a society of movies which now we are growing up with that are so meta, they're constantly explaining why they're doing things. So this is kind of explaining the explanation behind the meta. Mm. And it's really weird, to, and they break the fourth wall about three or four times. So they're driving along in this car, right? And the, there's this constant repetition of this Sturgill Simpson song, which is called um, The Dead Don't Die, right? Mm-hmm. And it's this country, all the dead don't die, you know, like with the plinky guitar and all the rest, it's playing all the way through it. And it keeps playing, and there's a surreal scene where the song comes back on, and it's uh, like Adam Driver and Bill Murray in the car, and Bill Murray's like, I'm sick of this song. Wow, I I mean, how do I know this song? How do I know it? And Adam Driver turns around and goes, well, of course you know it. And he's like, but how do I know it? And he's like, because it's the theme song. You know what I mean? So they 
they break the fourth wall about three or four times in the movie, either referencing the song being the theme song or directly referencing Jim Jarmusch himself. And I I think if you... It's got some weird Lynchian Twin Peaksy sort of humours to it that if you are not into that, if you don't like that, you will not like the movie. Just hands down. If you don't laugh in the first five minutes of the movie, you will not like the movie. <laughs> right. You're, Literally, you're in real trouble. It doubles down all the way through it. I thought it was really good. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought maybe the only thing, because it's so deli- it's paced like a zombie as well, so it's very deliberate, that the moments where things are maybe not, where you're not getting those funny witty lines on screen or certain characters that you really like, the movie drags a little bit, but out with that whole hell of a lot of stuff. And it gets absurd to the nth degree by the end and in a way which I was just like, Fucking, you've just thrown everything in the kitchen sink. The way I described it on Letterboxd was, it's like a zombie horror comedy scripted by the guys that do Welcome to Night Vale. Mm, Okay, yeah. So if you like that, you will love it. Um, If you do not like that description, avoid. Um, But yeah, I thought it was really, really, really good. I'm very much like, to me, it's a top 20 contender, even though I'm scoring it a bit lower than I've scored some of the the ones I don't think will make my top 20 this year. I think there's legs in the German, just like all Jarmusch movies, to go back and watch things and just gravitate to a different character or be more aware of what's happening in the background. Um, So yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I will throw my good out. And this is interesting because last week we talked about both of the movies we wanted to watch, and we actually watched those movies, which is oh, rare. that's very unusual for us. <laughs> it is. So, uh, going off of what I said last week, I watched Shazam. Oh, right. Did you enjoy it? Please I enjoy loved it. Shazam. I thought it was a delight. Uh, it's really, 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 really funny. It's very funny. It's incredibly charming. It is. It's incredibly dark as well. Like, see the deaths of characters. See when New Line came up at the start, I was like, "That huh? <laughs> New Line." Um, well, yeah, it's uh, David Sandberg, right? The guy from Lights Out, and yep. yeah, because he uses the actress from that short film. Uh, dies gruesomely in uh, oh, yeah. in in Shazam. Yeah, it's got kind of an edge. It reminds me a bit of uh, the Monster Squad. It has a bit of a Monster Squad quality in it. Yeah, in in that it's like, okay, well, this if you're a kid and you saw this movie, this would be almost a gateway movie into horror films. Mm -hmm. Because there are horror movie trappings all over the place, but it's it's surrounded by such a a spirit of, not lightness necessarily, but just such an an earnestness in that movie that I really liked. I thought... um, Zachary Levi was tremendous as, you know, a superhero who's just a kid. Told <laughs> dish. The the uh the moment when like he first realizes like, "Oh, I'm an adult now," and they do that that hard cut to him at the convenience store saying, "I would <laughs> like to purchase your finest beers, please." That was very funny. Uh, he, not, he knocks the he, he's fucking around and the bus comes off and he catches the bus. He's like, yeah, woo, we're saved today. And he's, his friend's like that. No, you shot the bus off the fucking bridge. And you know I mean, you caused the accident that you stopped. He's yeah. Like, yeah, but look at me. Woo. Well, and, and what I liked is, I mean, it's certainly a superhero origin story movie in that it hits mm-hmm. all those beats of, oh, you know, with great power comes great responsibility that he, it's the, it, it truly is kind of the Spider-Man story where he gets these superpowers 
and and tries to capitalize on on having those powers instead of using them for good ends up getting in a situation where people he cares about are going to be hurt and so he is forced to become that hero yeah but you know i mean that's uh, that's sort of like well you know uh it's sort of like having a buddy cop movie it's it's like okay you're telling the same story but how how do you execute and yeah. and what how good is the execution of it and I, I thought it was very good. Again, I thought it was very funny. I thought it was really well acted. By the end of the movie, when there's, you know, a sort of a moment where the notion of family becomes front and center. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there, dude, that moment where he goes and finds his mom. So, uh, again, spoilers for the next 90 seconds. <laughs> when he goes and finds his mother and she's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, I, I saw you that day. And, uh, and you know, I, when I saw you with the cops, I thought they could take care of you better than I could. When he hands her the compass that mm-hmm. he, that she won that day. You tell me you cried, boy. And I mean, no, 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 not cry. But when she looks at it and says, what is this? Yeah. And he's just like, y- you know what? You need it more than me. I like, I didn't cry at that, but I was like, fuck, that's harsh. Yeah. yeah. You know? I said like, it's really well done. Really, really well done. Yeah. It was, it, it, it made me so happy and by the end of it i like i wasn't in tears or nothing but you know my heart i it was heartwarming at the end of it when you know he he uh, has the line about like oh i'm home now and all that mm-hmm. stuff i thought the the uh the actors who played uh the foster parents were terrific I th- oh yeah they were really 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 good yeah i thought that was just a fun relationship of like oh no we were both foster kids and now that's what we we kind of give back and they're both very silly and kind of fun but they care about these kids and uh and boy oh geez that the little girl the one that hugs uh, yeah like <laughs> it took about three seconds before i was like well i love that character yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like it, it again. It just so many li- smart decisions, and also kind of goofing on the whole idea of Shazam, which is kind of a dopey superhero idea. But mm-hmm. by the end of it, like when he does that jump off the roof and yells Shazam and turns into Shazam, it was like, man, that's fucking cool. I never thought I would say that about Shazam, <laughs> but I'm kind of on board. Like when they when they tease a sequel, I'm like, I'm a hundred percent on board with a Shazam sequel. Oh yeah, I think it did enough to. Do, I think it did well actually. I think you're going to get that sequel as long as nothing else breaks in the DC world. <laughs> yeah, I, well, they've kind of done this thing now where like it's all set in the same universe, but it doesn't look like they're trying to build to an Avengers. Like when when they were trying to just you know drunkenly cram that flaccid cock of <laughs> Justice League um you know th- when they were trying to make that happen and it was just like no 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 like marvel spent like eight years doing this you you mm-hmm. can't do it on your third movie um yeah i think they've kind of taken that lesson to heart now and they're just like you know what let's just make w- w- there are enough characters in that dc pantheon that we can make good movies and if we set it all in the same universe and then it builds to something organically then so be it Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, no, I really enjoyed it. I thought Shazam was was just a delight. Well, th- this is what makes me. This is this sort of thing I I wish they were doing with all the superhero stuff. Is just kind of doubling down on making like a fun and or interesting movie. Yeah. That Joker movie that's coming this year, like I've never been so excited for anything even tangentially linked to superheroes in my entire life. Like I I so badly want that film, and it looks bleak. It looks dark. It looks gnarly it looks whimsical it looks you know 
I, I don't know. I, there's something about it that just has me hooked. And then the director came out and said, you know, it's actually not really anything to do with the comics. And I was like, yeah, good. Like yeah. that, if you're going to go and do your own thing, go and do your own thing. As soon as you start, you shoot yourself in the foot when you try and do something faithful to a comic that you then don't deliver. You instantly piss off fandom. Like that, if you want to go and take that character and put him in a completely different environment, which is what comic books do, um, and go off and do a standalone or whatever you want to do with it, go and do that. But focus on what it is you're trying to do. Um, and you'll double down into that and it looks it looks great the references to to scorsese and stuff like that that i've just seen just from the trailer um give me real excitement about that because i i don't think marvel can do that sort of movie i think it, it that's where dc kind of shines yeah it's when they want to go a bit dark and a bit gnarly and all the rest and the sad part is that they feel they need to go the other way instead of just that's that's a niche that you know you don't have to but you don't have to have fucking five superhero movies coming out every year like that. But every couple of years, give us something like that. I'll watch it. I'll go and watch it. You've got Joaquin Phoenix to play the Joker. That to me is an interesting bit of casting. It's more interesting than the first time I heard Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker, and look how that turned out. <laughs> right. So yeah, I, you know I mean. I, I was like the the ten things I hate about you guy. What a night steal! Uh, is that what we're doing? Great performance, um, and you've got like a proper method actor doing it. So um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. What did What did you think uh, of the news that Mahershala Ali is going to be Blade? I, I'll be honest. I like Mahershala Ali a whole hell of a lot. Sure. I don't necessarily think he's an action star, right? And um, I, I, right? I, but let's give him a shot, man. Right, I I think it's to me it's obvious casting. Like if you were to ask me last week, right, if you know if you had to update Blade, who plays Blade? I mean, Marshall Ali doesn't actually look all that dissimilar. <laughs> no, you're right. He does look a bit like Wesley Snipes, but he does. He looks I, like a young Wesley Snipes. I think here's my only concern. Right, here's my only only concern. Right, those original Blade movies work really well. Because Wesley Snipes can act. He's a good actor. Really good actor. In certain roles, he's a great actor. But he's, he is good in Blade. What makes him great in Blade is his martial arts. Mm-hmm. Right? And the action sequences are very, very, very well done. Right? And that sells that for me. Right? Marshall Ali is a better actor than Wesley Snipes. A much better actor than Wesley Snipes. I don't know how he's going to be as an action star. And unless they're going in a different direction... As long as you just don't try and remake Blade. That's like, because Blade's dated horribly now. Right. And even that, but that first one's not the best in the series. Sorry if I've upset anyone. It's okay. But no, Blade it, it 2 some... is the superior film. Oh, Blade 2 is the superior film from front to back. Um, but I don't know. I, I am, I, I'm interested. I'll put it this way. Of all the, all the things he mentioned as upcoming things, this particular phase is more interesting than any of the other ones to me thus far. The fact that you've got, uh, uh, Watiti coming back to do another Thor movie, but this time pivoting to the idea of a th- female Thor. Love the idea of that. Right? Oh, the title of that is so fucking good too. Well, of course it is. Of course, Thor: it is, right? Love and Thunder. Are you kidding me? The the idea of uh, the Doctor Strange movie panning into the darker, they're classing it as a kind of quasi horror movie. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're taking it in that direction, totally can't wait to see that. See if they get Scott Derrickson back to direct that, that would make sense to me because yeah, Scott he's Derrickson, coming back. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, that's his background, right? So get, yeah, 
yeah, I thought the first Doctor Strange movie was okay, but what I couldn't get my head around was why why have we got a horror director directing this movie? Um, now this makes sense. Give him that. I can't wait to see that. And then you've got Blade coming in as well um, in a kind of reboot fashion as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. I'm also glad that Jordan Peele turned in the directing on it. Yeah, Jordan Peele should not be directing a Blade movie. Yeah, I agree with that. Jordan Peele needs to do his own like Rod Serling shit. Yeah, and and let let like if you told me Del Toro was coming back to reboot Blade, I you couldn't you couldn't tie down my erection. You know, <laughs> if he was just like, oh yeah, I'd love to come back and just re reboot that kind of universe with a different actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be totally down for that, but you know, I I think that uh, you could, man. There there are a lot of good options for who to helm that, but I I think uh, pulling somebody from the horror world from for a Blade reboot would make a lot of sense. Like, uh, uh, you know, even like a Ty West or somebody like that. See, oh, see if Ty West directed that movie, holy fucking shit! Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That that you know something or an like Adam that. Wingard or somebody like that. Yeah, I would love to see Adam Wingard do that, but every time Adam Wingard touches something, the internet cries. So, um, yeah, but the internet's gonna cry no matter what, you know. You know I, what I mean? Like, I thought Death Note was good, um, but apparently it was the worst movie that's ever been made. I, I didn't mind that that Blair Witch movie, but apparently it was the worst movie ever made. So the guy can not win. Although people seem to overlook that he did the guest, and the guest is fucking bitching. So the, the guest is one of the, one of my favorite movies from the past decade, probably. Yeah. It, it's oh, it's a fucking a great movie. movie. Yeah, uh, so give him it. So anyway, that's your comic book Bennett here on uh, Duncan and Bo, or which might be the only time we ever do that, considering my usual lack of interest in things comic booky. Yeah, but you know, I think that. Uh, to your point about like, hey, you need to do something interesting with this. Like even that latest Spider-Man movie, uh, Far From Home, there's meat on that bone. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, like that is a movie you can discuss in a in a political sense. And there is an argument to be made that that is that movie is a sharp criticism of kind of modern Internet culture. Yeah. And and yeah. So like when you are doing that with uh, here's the thing. I was watching uh, Iron Man 2 the other day. Yep. Um, and I was like, man, this is not a very good movie. I don't, I don't know why you went back to that one, because I remember seeing that one in the cinema and uh, proclaiming this might be the end of, like, we may not see another Avengers movie. Well, I just, I, I didn't really remember it, you know? It was one of those things, like, I, I don't remember not liking it, but I don't remember that much about it. And, Mickey Rourke is bad. He's, he's not very good in it. But... It, but the thing that really stood out in stark contrast for me is watching that and seeing things like, you know, the those two Spider-Man movies, both Homecoming and Far From Home and stuff like Thor Ragnarok and, and even the, the last pair of Avengers movies. It's like those are such objectively better films. Yeah, yeah. They're, oh, God, yeah. They're better written. They're better directed. They actually are saying something beyond the story that they're telling. There There is mm-hmm. commentary happening. And I was just like, man, how far we have come. Like, yes, you can argue all you want about like, well, all these stupid comic book movies are the same. It's like, yeah, you know, the the skeleton is all the same. But these the directors behind these are actually doing something with that material these days that I think is really interesting. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting to see it evolve the same way that comic books themselves have, where they have gone beyond that, you know, kind of golden and silver age of like, these are just stories about heroes punching villains to being commentary on the culture. You know, modern mm-hmm. modern comic books tend to be very, very aware of the world in which they are, are, are set. And uh, it, it, it's really interesting to me. I thought I thought it was a, an interesting evolution to see how far those movies have come over a decade of of making them and you know i'm one of those people that's like hey if you keep making shit that's as good as far from home i'll keep going you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh you start trotting out some iron man twos again we got problems (laughs) some iron man twos and thor and oh man even that hulk reboot it was just like no you can keep all of this none of this is good um anyway speaking of keeping all of it duncan Mm -hmm. it is time that we keep a date with uh two gruesome to die newsome i don't know uh two <laughs> two grim to die phlegm um it it's too old to die young it is we are talking about episodes seven and eight mm-hmm. uh our penultimate episode of of two uh duncan to die bow um <laughs> and the first episode on our plate here is uh, episode seven entitled The Magician. And, <laughs> oh man. All right, so let's dive into it. We're, we open on uh, a scene in Diana's little studio, you know, where she's got her triangle crystal set up. Yep. And it's her and Martin and Vigo kind of standing uh, to the side watching all the proceedings. And it's Diana like holding her hand to her head. And she's like, you know, I see a car accident and, uh, you know, I I see a a traumatic event with you and a lady. And he's (laughs) like, yeah, all that happened. And they they get to the subject of the car accident or uh, the the crime scene itself. And um, she asks why she's kind of given him the Blade Runner test. A little bit. Yeah. Where she's like, hey, um, you know, if someone uh if you were with someone and they were ripping the wings off a butterfly and they went to do it a second time, would you stop them? And he's Mm. like, uh, yes, I would. And she says, why? And he says, well, because there's no point to it. And she says, okay, there's a turtle on the road and it's on its back. Um, and he's like, I don't know what this means. And then he freaks out and murders everyone. Um, now that doesn't happen at all, but he, uh, she says, what if there were a, a teenager that was hot for you, what would you do? And he was like, well, I would walk away. And she's like, really? (laughs) And (laughs) it's not what it says here, Martin. (laughs) Right. And he's like, no, I'm serious lady. I'm cool. And, uh, then, um, V she's saying like, look, Vigo is going to die soon. And, Martin says, well, what happens after that? And Vigo says, what happens after I die is kind of up to you, Martin. Mm -hmm. And then Vigo and Diana kind of smile at each other. And and the idea here is that Martin will ultimately take Vigo's place Mm -hmm. in this dynamic. Um, That Vigo is going to continue to be this sort of father figure that's going to show him the ropes. And then when he dies of cancer or, you know, whatever kidney problem he's got or whatever, then he's going to become th- this new force of vengeance that Diana uses. Yeah. 
gonna the sword of judgment the sort of is sort of damocles is that what that is am i using that no, right the sword of damocles is a fable about a character who or a mythological person who uh, constantly no i had to walk through a room with swords above him uh the metaphor is that if you you know you've got to watch the impending doom that might fall upon you which is uh-huh. the dangling swords of damocles but yeah, a living in constant fear. Gotcha. Okay. That's it. Yeah, which is, to be honest, how Martin should be, um, but isn't for some reason. I don't like, like you know, what, what I'm loving about the show is the accumulation of all the horrible shit he's doing. Even when he is doing good things, he's doing it in ways which are not nice. Uh, and he doesn't seem to understand that things eventually catch up with you. Um, and what's interesting is that. Um, Gina Malone's character specifically has, you know, she's she's went through one killer um, who's on his way out, and she's pivoting to the next one to continue. Basically, her is is her. You imagine it this way, because this show's full of fucking biblical references, because obviously it's Wind and Heaven. But um, it's this idea of continuing her gospel, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Of like her belief, her. Like, because she's found these two empty-ish vessels that she can start pouring this kind of level of of propaganda into to enact. And um, Martin's like a young, fitter model of of Vigo, so she's going to have some time with this one. And I would say, on some level, he appears to be more damaged than Vigo. I think we spoke about that before. Like, at least Vigo, when he sits in a coffee shop, orders a coffee. There's no evidence that Martin was ever there because he didn't order anything. So, um. It's kind of interesting because they're indoctrinating him in and trying to make him pass the test and all the rest. But, you know, like, us as viewers know that that there's some serious issues here. And we also know when Martin's lying, so. Right, yeah. It's a real situation where we as a viewer hold more cards than uh, either Diana or Vigo. Although Diana certainly gives the impression that she can sniff out the fact that Martin's kind of full of shit. Mm, Yeah, yeah. She's holding a lot of tarot cards, but... Yeah, well, all right. So speaking of Martin and Vigo doing dark business. Yep. Martin shows up at a, at a woman's house. And, yep, and she's like, hi. Right, he's like, hey, uh, I'm detective, young guy. I need to check on a home invasion in the area. I got- there, is, there, is a pause when he, there is a pause when he has to come up with his name. And it's kind of amazing because it is like, I'm detective Shurson. Right. De- Look at each De- Detective Shendermanson. <laughs> and she's like, uh, all right. And okay. he's and like, come? hey, can I come in or what? And so she invites him in. And as he comes in, there we see this kind of long-haired dude sitting at a table in the background. Mm-hmm. And he comes in the living room uh, of the, this kind of ranch-style house and uh, is, is chit-chatting with a woman about, like, hey, you know, have you seen anything in the area recently? And we know some shit's about to pop off because he is putting on gloves as he's talking to her. And <laughs> Yeah, like, with his back to her as well, just putting on those gloves, and we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> right. And meanwhile, the, the long-haired dude we saw at the table is like, hey, is there somebody else here? And the next thing you know, Vigo it is double tapping this dude in the fucking face. Yep. And he was that hard. <laughs> yeah. And Martin just pulls out a gun and is like, you know, surprise motherfucker and opens up her neck. 
Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, pulls out his knife, viciously stabs her about 20 times in the stomach and then right in the throat and blood just goes everywhere. And I'm like, well, she's not getting up from that, Bo. No, no. no. Uh, but and That's not how Vigo sees it. No, well, Vigo is, uh, he's someone who likes to be certain. And so he shoots her in the fucking face uh, to make sure that the woman who has poured all of her blood out of her body already <laughs> is not going to get up, uh, you know, return to life as a zombie. <laughs> and then uh, Vigo like strolls to, uh, you know, apparently a kid's bedroom and says, it's okay, children, you can come out now. And it's like, no, don't let them see any of this. <laughs> Well, the thing is as well, though, the the room in which they're in is all dark and like there's, the curtains appear to be closed and all the rest. So it kind of doubling down and we don't see what Vigo sees when he opens that door, but something bad's happened. Right. That Like, c- clearly anybody that Diana and Vigo are murdering were up to some dark business. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> then we move to a happier time. Is it? <laughs> uh, ish. Is it happy, bro? Uh, I mean, or, I was happy because of the return of a character, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's a happy time. Man, there is some quality Theo uh, in this episode. Like, like, remember when we wrote that, you know, maybe we don't want them to overplay the tiger. I'm so glad it came back. I know, man. All right, we'll get to it. Shut up. Fuck, fuck it, shut up, Duncan. <laughs> We're just, shut the fuck up, Duncan. We're going to get to it. <laughs> I'm so glad I live alone. Uh, Martin Martin is having a beer by himself at Janie's 18th birthday party. It's a yeah. real time for celebration. Oh, she's fucking 18. Yeah. Uh, at least now he's not breaking the law anymore. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. <laughs> right, right, Judas. Um, big Rob. Rob Halford on the other side. I'm breaking the law. Yeah, well, I am in a, a a leather harness, so that only makes sense. Well, that'll that'll, that'll be better explained in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, um. yeah, I got a bullwhip in my ass and a leather harness on. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to join Jesus's gang. Yeah, I'm so glad that I brought my rocking chair with dildo implement that moves up every time I swing by. Right. Forward. Uh, you, I right mean, you, job. right. That the fact that there isn't one of those things in this season so far. Yeah. Is a stunner. Uh, we'll yeah, see how it goes. Nicholas Winden ref and dropped the fucking ball ball. Right, you were right there with Hideo Kojima. Why, was, weren't, why weren't one of you on Amazon buying the dildo rocker? <laughs> the thing that's all wrong about this, so it's, it's Janie's 18th birthday, right? And Theo's doing his usual thing. I'm the center of attention, but it's actually really about my daughter. But can you believe that I had this child? Look how... Does that make me old? I mean, how old are you now? I'll tell you right now, I'm going to be hitting on your friends in like two years. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the exact line, Duncan, because I made a note of this one. He's like, if she's 18, what does that make me? About five years away from dating one of your friends. Am I right? <gasps> I was like, whoa. Hey, buddy. That is. <laughs> Those are inside words. You keep those in your head. But he's like, he's the, the kind of, the celebrations for Janie are once again, an upper, we've, it's like an inverse to the, although it's not when I think about it, because when they were at the mother's memorial, it started off being kind of, you know, a very special woman and all the rest, but it then became the feel show, you know what I mean? Like, and we're going to take this tour on the road and this space here is going to be for my new girlfriend and, 
and all these things. And he kind of doubles back down into this about how great he is. I mean, he's obviously great because he's Janie's dad. Um, and, you know, he kind of leans into that. And it's, it's very awkward. And Martin's in the back because he doesn't really want to be there. And then Martin, while he's doing that, he gets a call. And this call is in in connection to events that happened last week, Bo. Yeah, as we know, Celestino got murdered by uh, Game Boy. Yeah. Um, it, like, unceremoniously and accidentally all at the same time. <laughs> it was not having the best day. Yeah, what I, what I like is that uh, Martin gets this call from Damien and he sends it to voicemail initially um, while he's listening to this speech from Theo. And then he gets another call back right away, and he's like, hey, I'm kind of in the middle of something here. It's really mm-hmm. creepy and awkward. And, <laughs> and then uh, Damien says, like, hey, somebody tried to kill me. And Martin's like, okay, I'll be there soon. And so he, he fucks off out of this party um, where Theo is kind of roundabout saying, like, can you believe how hot Janie became? And he's like, boy, this, I just, I got to get out of here. This is weird even for me. Yeah, it's so fucking creepy. Like, so creepy. And it gets worse. It gets so it much worse. Get doesn't get any better. And so Martin g- goes to, like, Damien's safe house, where there are a bunch of dudes hanging. I mean, it looks kind of like a house party with guns. Yeah, yeah. It kind of yeah, reminded me weirdly of, of um, there's a scene in the first season of True Detective where they arrive at the projects. Yes, 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 yes. And it's kind of like that. Everyone in there kind of looks like they're half there to party, but half there to be, you know, full-on bodyguard support for for our main character. And he goes out, and then we have that almost home improvements-like conversation across a fence. I had the same note, man, where <laughs> where it's like uh, Tim Allen and Wilson. Long. Yeah. Um, where, where Martin goes to find Damien and, and Damien is like, Hey man, the Mexicans killed Celestino. Mm-hmm. And one, one other quick note, when he asks, uh, when they first meet up, Damien asks him how he's healing up. And I think this is some, you know, ref and not so subtle, uh, symbolism here where he says, Oh, it keeps ripping open. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know take care of it i guess whatever he's like anyway short sh- sh- our, our uh small talk is done here yeah oh also the like uh, i mentioned earlier on you know the the kind of religious symbolism is is on the wall here bo you know our, our character was stabbed in the stage it's like jesus was stabbed in the side yeah um and then we'll get into the well can't jump ahead well can't jump but we can't tell you about it but there's specific passion of the in fact there's a scene once again oh my god when i think about it now this is all passion of the christ uh this whole fucking two episodes uh including a rather campy christ yeah <laughs> there there's a passion play from our our friend hart bachner it's the greatest thing like honestly how could a show give us so much good honestly just like back to back good but yeah he's he's like you know it keeps ripping open like these these old wounds will keep ripping open i see what you did there nicholas winden ref and if that yeah. is indeed your real name um but yeah so he's like you know like we start getting information this hit he, he doesn't specifically say it's jesus because he doesn't know it's jesus right and once again, this doubles right back to what we said at the very beginning. What did Damien say to Martin right at the very beginning? You to kill this guy, 
or frame him and get him off the fucking streets because he obviously knows how shit goes down with the cartel and nothing happened there at right. all. And this is it now coming back to roost him. When I say come back to roost, I mean the most violent roost you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, uh, a, re- a real uh, a-, a-, a Manson-esque roost. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it- so, you know, Damien is, is a smart guy. And and says yeah. like, hey, I want to make sure I need you to to call. I, I I'm asking you to call the cops, see what leads they have because a war is brewing, mm-hmm. and if I'm going to war, I want to make sure that my gun is aimed at the right target. Yeah, and so because I don't want to make this situation worse. So Damien, in, uh, I'm not Damien, but Martin ends up calling <laughs> Melvin, yeah, who, who is the <laughs> the cop we have seen before that is constantly talking about fucking and was also in on the prank to have a mannequin do a job interview for Hard Bogner. Yeah, I would like to think that in the preceding months that Martin's been off with his injury and we've not seen him uh, as a character, he's grown, Bo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's fucking hilarious. This is like the the line that comes right after the phone call is maybe one of the funniest lines I've heard in a while. It's but I, but it's, it's so one of the few times that I've laughed out loud really hard at this show. Most of the time it's like, huh, that, that's funny for, you know, too grim to be funny. But yeah, <laughs> But this is a legitimate laugh out loud line where Melvin is like, "Hey, um Hey, uh, Martin, how's your cock? Yeah, that's the first question. How's your cock, right? And I'm like that. I think that's just kind of playful banter, but no, Mel really wants to know how his dick is. And then the line after is like, I'm just so fucking horny all the time. And I'm like, oh, no. Right. And Martin is just like, yeah, uh, that's great, man. Um, hey. That calls on speakerphone as well, we, we should add. Yes. the The phone is like on the fence between... Damien and Martin so that they can both hear what's happening. And Martin's like, Hey, do you have any hits on, uh, any leads at all on, on the, the shooting of Celestino? And he's like, you know, Hey, I don't know. I'll, I'll check in. Are you, Hey, are are you trying to, uh, fist the Lieutenant? You trying to get, get in good with him. And he's like, uh, no, man, I, I just heard something. I was just checking it out. <laughs> And uh, he's like, hey, call me if you get a hit. And he's like, all right, hey, take care of your cock. And <laughs> and Martin hangs up the phone, at which point Damon says, please tell me that motherfucker ain't a real cop. <laughs> and, and then Martin's response is, well, yeah, sort of. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> so... It, again, the funniest thing that happens in any episode of this this series. Yeah, that, I can't see them cracking another joke post episode eight. So yeah, uh, yeah, I think I think that ship sailed. This is the last bit of levity you have um, before the end. There are some plenty of weird moments to get to, but this is the last bit of levity. Yeah. And so uh, Martin's kind of left up with the cops to do a bit of recon. Um, also. You know, this cop now thinks that maybe Martin's ready to get back into work, which Martin clearly doesn't want to do. Uh, he's finishing up his conversation with Damien. He's going to go back to the party and see what's left of it. Turns out not a lot. Yeah, it, it's pretty much broken up. So uh, he he's having a quick conversation with Janie about how, uh, 
she thought she'd feel different, I guess, turning 18. And then they wake up in in bed the next morning, mm-hmm. and there's blood everywhere. And uh, she has blood on her hands. It's on the sheets. It's on Martin. And clearly what's happened is that his stitches have torn free again, thanks to some uh, enthusiastic fucking. And then she tastes the blood. Mm-hmm. And my first thought is like, now she's a vampire. She's got <laughs> she's got a taste for it. But as she tastes the blood, she flashes back to fucking Martin on the couch, mm-hmm. uh, just riding him when when he came back the night before. And so she fucks off to school. Yeah, and Martin's in Dreamyland. He's having the best dream ever, and instead of an alarm clock. <laughs> Waking him up. The soothing sounds of birds chirping outside is a more kind of familiar noise. When I say familiar, I mean episode one familiar noise. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to believe that was the first episode of this. I but... know. How, how long ago does that feel? Yeah, it, right. It's Theo petting a stuffed tiger and making the purring sound. Yep. And Martin's just laying in bed naked and bloody. As Theo sits in a chair watch, watching him. Well, he says that. He says, get up and get dressed. And then things are quiet. And he's like, that, I like to watch. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, Theo. Yeah. And then he says, I have something I need to show you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The snort's back. So he's done a, clearly a fucking a metric ton of coke before he came in that room um, and started petting the fucking tiger but he's like yeah i need to show you something you'd follow me remember i own you all that that's special that and they go into a cinema room home theater which i imagine that's what your basement looks like bro it's not nearly that cool but you know for a for a piece of white trash like myself duncan it it, it, that's what it looks like to me yeah Uh, it looks good and he proceeds to play a movie that he is have his finance to get made and what's really weird about this movie and this is lynchian ef and maybe a little bit cronenbergian actually um the movie that is playing on the screen is of two cops kind of shaking down this woman um who they've stopped in her car with their abuse of power the characters one is a black cop who looks kind of similar to larry from the first episode the other one is a slightly more attractive version of Martin, and the scene plays out slightly more sinister, but almost beat for beat to the opening shot of the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did we just Barbarian Sound Studio this? Are we actually in the movie? Is that was like, I, I genuinely was, I was caught back by it. And Martin is a little bit as well, you know what I mean? Like, he obviously sees this as like, you know, how this, like, almost like, how do you know about this? You know, how do you know about this event? Or is it just blind luck? As you know, as Theo's ideas of what cops are like, right on the money, you know, right on the money. Are they a cliche of cops, like abusive cops? Um, and, you know, this is where things get fucking uncomfortable, like really uncomfortable. Like everything up to this point has been quasi uncomfortable this is where things take a, a a really dark fucking horrible turn a really dark horrible turn and like when i say dark horrible that i mean just everything gets fucked um <laughs> yeah so, like theo's talk, he's asking him what he's going to do it theo's unsure what he's going to do with the movie thus far but then proceeds to tell well he starts asking him questions about his relationship with jenny um 
And then, like, tells him that he saw them fuck the night before, and he just watched them do it. And he can't believe how attractive she is. And this gets Trumpian as well, actually, in a way which made me kind of skeeved at a wee bit, you know, Trump and his daughter. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very much like that. Like, he basically says, you know, that, you know, she's so attractive, you know, I could see myself with someone like her. And I was like, no, don't go there. You know, just, it's a horrible thing to talk about. And then he's just... He is hard as fuck, boy. <laughs> well, sure. He's talking about how hot his daughter is mm-hmm. and and how much he owns uh, Martin at this point. And when it, one quick exchange that I really like here is when after the, the movie plays and, you know, the screen goes white and he says, uh, hey, what'd you think of that, Martin? And he says, uh, it's all right. <laughs> and Theo laughs at him and says, you wouldn't know art if it punched you in the fucking face. Mm-hmm. And then he gets out of all the like, hey, I, I saw you and, and Janie fucking. And then he says, do you think Janie's a 10? You know, like she's my daughter, so it's hard to say, but I think she's a 10. Yeah. And once again, that's Trump. Right. And then you realize that he is starting to jerk off. Oh, yeah. Like At first, he's kind of hiding it, and then he just powers in it, and there's a lot of kind of weird breathing and uh, like, right. kind of grunting, and he's, he's going at it hard. Yeah, and he's like, I was jealous watching a Neanderthal like you fucking my little princess. Mm-hmm. And then Martin, fed up, apparently, just... Bang- well, yeah, well, because he's he, he basically, like, he's been emasculated, and then fucking he was jerking off to, like, his girlfriend, his daughter, at the same time. And Martin's had, like, what we did mention earlier on in great detail is while the party was going on, Martin was getting these vicious flashbacks to all the people he's murdered. So we've seen a couple on screen, right? We Like, the flashes of all these people are, you know, there's maybe about 10, 15 bodies of people that he has killed in various dis- different gruesome ways. And we get this kind of build-up of what's he going to do, right? And yeah. what he decides to do is cold cock this guy in the side of the head with his gun. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Just uh, just knocking him out. That that's understandable. And, and he walks over and the movie's still playing and he stands and he points a gun at dinner and I'm like that. You're not gonna shoot your father in law in his own fucking house. That's silly, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you were doing the same thing, Bo. Yeah. Sure you were saying this. And he's like that. He holds the gun there for like more seconds than most filmmakers would have, but perfect for Nicholas Hunter Reffin. And then he puts the gun away and like that. Right, that's a sensible move. You can pass it off. He baited you to do all the rest. Martin's not finished there. Martin takes his belt off, right? Something like that. Is he going to whip him? I mean, Theo might like that a bit too much, right? Mm-hmm. And both the listeners will be unhappy to hear how this goes. If you are a Theo fan like myself, a, feel, a Theophile, as I like to call myself, right? Um, a Theophile who's a bit of a plushophile, um, but <laughs> he, he takes his belt off, wraps it around his neck. Now, Theo's faced him, so wraps it around his neck, puts his foot on his back, and I was like, that, what are we doing here? You're not going to... And then he yanks up until he breaks Theo's neck. Like, yes. Snap, hard snap. Theo was gone. Theo's out this show. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck are we doing here?" It's it's hardcore, man. And uh, so after murdering Martin uh, or murdering Theo, Martin yep. throws Theo in the trunk of Theo's own car. Yep, and then makes a call to Vigo and is like, "Hey, hey, I gotta get rid of somebody." <laughs> so Martin drives Theo's car. 
out into this remote location where Vigo meets him. Mm-hmm. And Vigo is like, uh, hey, what did he do? And Martin just spits. <laughs> yep, because that's what he does. Yeah. Uh, he never really says. And Vigo is like, all right, well, you know, follow my truck. Well, yeah, because they've over the time they would like to think that they built up a bit of a trust relationship. That if he needs them, no questions asked, he's going to be fine with that as long as it doesn't break their weird moral codes or whatever the fuck they're working to. You know, that'll be fine. And they follow him up to this kind of trash, well, not trash, it's like car compacting service. Um, and the vehicle goes in there and starts getting crushed. Yeah. Um, at the meantime, though, while that all that's happening, Jenny's come back from school and her dad's not there. Right. But she's back with her friend. Right. Carrie from the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, what got her smacked in the face by Yuritsa. Yeah. And... I all about that until you just said that. It was yeah. amazing. It was so good. And so, so Carrie... fucking hard. Carrie's like, hey, you want to do some coke? And, and Jenny's like, sure. And they have this discussion about how Martin... That Carrie felt like martin was kind of a dud that yep. he's just a normal dude and she's saying like what are you doing with him because you know you're gonna end up with somebody like your dad which mm-hmm. is also creepy <laughs> right well not anymore um, yeah <laughs> and who well, you mean i'm gonna end up with a compacted amount of steel right well Janie is like, hey, the, what I like about Martin is that when we when we fucked, by the way, right where you're sitting, Carrie. Yep, right there, <laughs> and where your hand is, and where your glass is, and where that coke was. Right. Um, she's like, you know, what I like about him is he always lets me come first. And how she woke up covered in his blood uh, the the night before, and she's like, it, it kind of turned me on. Mm. And Carrie is like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great question that she doesn't really answer. But yeah, so they're they're compacting Theo, speaking of. And uh, then Martin gets a call from Melvin while they're at the compactor place. And he says like, hey, I, I checked into uh, the leads and there are none. There's no evidence. There's no leads. And then the, the lieutenant rolls up and steals the phone from Melvin. Yep. And does, again, his effeminate voice that pops out every now and again where he's like, hey, polyester. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? What are we doing here? <laughs> Don't stop, though. And so he tells Martin, like, hey, I heard you're, it's time for you, like, you, you want to get back to work. And Martin's like, uh, not really. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, we need you back here. Like, we need somebody to, to stand the line. And he, he quotes Reagan here where he says, you know, this country needs to return to what it used to be, that shining city on a hill, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, from, I think, Reagan's inauguration speech, maybe, or maybe it was a campaign speech even. But uh, anyway, um, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll think about it <laughs> and hangs up. And then, you know, Vigo and Martin watch the, the rest of the car get smooshed. And then they're going to head back, but he asks Vigo, hey, do you do you mind making a stop? I got to check in on something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, I got to give some a friend some bad news. And so they stop off at Damien's. But before they do that, like Martin is like, hey, I need you to pull over. And yeah. he gets out of the truck and just vomits. Yeah, of course he vomits because he's got a wound on his side and he's just done a horrific thing to someone that he loves. 
Right. I right. It, it, the question is like, what is really upsetting him? Uh, I don't think it's the Theo thing. I also think it's guilt over the. Uh, it's not. I, I don't even think it's the guilt over the Jenny thing either. I think it's the guilt over lying to Vigo. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that yes. Because he comes clean right after it. Yes, he he does tell him like you know here's who like Theo was my girlfriend's dad. And Vigo is like, well, why did you kill him? And he's like, I don't know. He was pushing my buttons, man. <laughs> and, uh, Vigo is like, well, you shouldn't have lied to me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, what are you going to do if Janie starts asking questions? Are you going to fucking ice her too? And Martin's like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'll figure it out. And, uh, and Martin says something interesting here where he says, I thought I could control it. But I feel like two different people, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And this is where he he's like, I don't want to be a cop anymore because that is not who I am. You know, like I am a a, a sword of vengeance, a sword of Damocles, as we've established. <laughs> Frosted on the muffin, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, he's like, I don't want to be a cop anymore. Um, and, and and I just want to do this. And so then they they you know patch that up kinda. And head over to Damien's. And Martin is like, hey, you want to come inside with me? You know, it's kind of a party. Mm-hmm. And Vigo's like, yeah, you know, I'm down to clown. Let's go. And yeah, a, uh, by the way, toll party. Toll par- party of death. <laughs> right, right. It's a, a, a real Dia de la Morte party. Where, yeah, I... <laughs> where uh, Martin like goes up to the door. He knocks. Nobody answers. And he opens the door. And the first thing that you you see when you open the door is a dude sitting on the couch with his brains blown out on the wall behind him. And as they go through this house, it's every everybody is dead. Air motherfucker dead in this place. Mm. The one thing they don't find is Damien. Well, they may find they may find part of them, but they they do find uh, a a pair of hands. That yeah, which was handy. Yeah. I mean, it was handy that they found that clue. Oh, Duncan, mm. Duncan, mm. we're better than mm. that. Are we? Mm, probably not, but still. Uh, it is low-hanging fruit. Um, yeah, but yeah, they find his fucking hands just cut off in the middle of this room. Oh, it's a room bathed in fucking blood, and the two hands placed in a position that you know he was he was almost begging when they were taken off. Yes, yes. Um, uh, well, was he? Uh, anyway, I think the that... Two hands, the two hands are held out in prayer position. Like, the hands are, like, spaced... Uh, with all the blood round about, he's been forced down, his hands have been pushed out into prayer position and or downward dog, whatever the fucking yoga position is, and his hands were taken off. Yeah, I think it was downward dog is... Uh, no, I, I... Just given his behavior we see here in a minute, I wonder, like, if, if he's the kind of guy that would beg. You know Maybe not mean? big, but yeah, it's certainly a prayer position, for sure. Although you say that, you say that, but... For a man with scruples, he very, very, very quickly. Well, but I think he just knows the score, and he's doing what most criminals do, which is I'm going to selfishly make a deal that benefits me. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Damien leaves the show. Like this is what I found very, very quickly about this episode is how dark Nicholas Winden Reffing can take things, even down to dialogue. Like, the description, right? So, we'll jump away from the scene. We need to find out what happened to Damien. Um, and that's our next scene, isn't it? We go yeah. we go to Damien. Yeah, so we, we we basically travel to this 
this area which has an, an empty pool and and Damien's down in there. Damien is missing hands. He's pretty much stripped naked. He the sweat is lashing off him because he's probably in so much pain he's desperately trying to keep awake. And the pool's surrounded by cartel, uh Yuritsa, but Jesus is there. And Jesus walks down and walks up to him and then basically tells him what's gonna happen to him. Which get used to these prolonged deaths because next episode. Uh, but you know, he basically tells him and we've we've spent a bit of time with him, not a huge amount, but we know he's got a daughter and you know that this sort of shit, when characters say this, you know, this, like I, the, it doesn't upsets a strong word for me, but it really gets in at my skin. But it basically tells him, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your, I'm gonna, I'll kill you very slowly over the next couple of days. I'm gonna take your tongue. That tongue's gonna be sent to, I think it was your mother. We take your eyes. Your eyes are gonna go to your daughter, delivered to your daughter. And once we've, you know, once I'm gonna keep you alive and here and I'm not going to take your ears because I want you to hear everything you're missing out on. Right. Which... It's the the princess the princess bride maneuver mm-hmm. so that he can hear every cry of dear god what is that thing? Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it, right. It it's like you are going to hear the life you are missing out on. Yeah. Uh bec- and and so and you're going to be a, a walking billboard that you don't fuck with me and the cartel. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's horrific to hear. And of course, Damien sees who's saying this to him. It's like that. You're Jesus, aren't you? And he's like, "Yep." And he's like, "That." Um, well, didn't you fuck up when you killed that cop? Because you thought that cop killed your mum, and he didn't kill your mum. I know who killed your mum. And I think at first, Jesus is like, "You're fucking bluffing." But he comes around really quick to because obviously this is a trigger point for him. Like this is the trigger point because we we know one thing about Jesus. Wanting to fuck his mum. He loves <laughs> his mother, boy. He loves his mother. It's mother this and mama that. And yeah. Ireland must be heaven because my mother comes from there. Sorry. I went, <laughs> and, uh, I went into a little Belushi bit. Sorry. And um, so he's like that. He's like, well, tell me who did it. And he's like, I'll tell you on the proviso that my death is quick. Right. Yes. And that is the deal he makes. I will, I will give you everything that you don't know, but you make this quick and clean. Yeah. And... This is a risky thing. It's a risky trade because he supplies no evidence that this is a cop. But like Damien could just mention any cop. Right. But Damien's like plain straight and narrow. And also, once again, you're relying on the cartel having scruples and they don't. Well, but so, but it's it's going back to that idea of like a criminal code, you know, that yeah. there that there is a morality. Because what he says is like, I want your word as a man. Mm. that you're gonna make this quick and clean and it's like you can that is the currency being traded here that's yeah you know it, it's like you you as an honorable man that you are you know th- this notion that you can't get far in the criminal world by fucking over everybody yeah it's, it's honor amongst thieves yes essentially yeah and um so he tells him it was martin and then starts laughing you know, yeah. about how, how much of a failure he was. Meanwhile, Eureka's walking around the side of the pool with that little gun that she had all engraved. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets a certain point, bullet in the fucking head. Yeah, and makes exit it quick and clean. Yeah, yeah. exiting the show, Damien. So we've lost Theo, a character that creeped us out towards the end, but we both had genuine affection for. Um, and then we lost um, Damien, gone. Yeah, and, and so at this point, as a viewer... I'm like, fuck, I 
Damien, I thought, was going to be a bit more of a player in the conclusion of this. Yeah, Damien's team folded real fucking fast. That's them gone. The cartel have wiped him out. Yeah, they're, they're, Damien's uh, finished. Like, Theo, I was like, I can see that character dying. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, in my vision of where the show was going, it felt like, okay, Theo is somebody that uh, was, he has been fucking with Martin since the first episode. The fact that Martin, you know, finally flipped out and actually showed a little bit of emotion. Mm-hmm. And was like, I got to kill this guy because he's a he's fucking with my my business by showing me the this movie that he made. And B, uh, you're like, hey, this is going to set in motion this conflict between Janie and Martin, where she sees the man he truly is potentially. Um, like I had a whole plot in my head as to what is going to happen next. Mm hmm. Now that fucking happens. No, no. The, the, this show really, like, the next episode did so much to subvert pretty much every expectation that I had right to the very end. And I, once again, if you're a critic out there reviewing the show, I don't know how you cannot give credit to a show that subverts expectations as wickedly as this does. Even if you don't like the turns it's making, it's going against the grain of pretty much every other TV show you've seen. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so l- let's just jump into it. Let's get let's get to this episode because it's fucking rad. Yep. So our opening scene is Martin sitting at a table with his gun badge, presumably his letter of recogni- uh, re- resignation. <laughs> yeah, and a bowl of chips. Yeah, a bowl of chips for no reason. R- well, it's a party, Duncan. Yeah, yeah, but one bowl of chips and one bowl of chips for Martin. And everybody else just watching from the cubicles behind uh, Martin as yeah. he's sitting Please. in the police station. And a play is, they've built a fucking set of curtains, mm-hmm. uh, like it, it's real community theater, Duncan. Oh, yeah. And out comes the lieutenant with a broom across <laughs> his shoulders, like it's the passion play. Yeah, oh, he is going for it. The, the lieutenant is Jesus Christ. Yes, and a couple of the girls who work there run so forward funny. and he's like nails and they run forth and they're like, ah, rah, 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 rah. and <laughs> they're like, they're like little gremlins or something. And they act like they're nailing his hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he calls out for the spear. And then this dude starts yelling, democracy's my bitch. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then he starts stabbing uh you know play stabbing the lieutenant with a spear as he just repeats democracy democracy is my bitch over and over and over again mm-hmm. and then as he runs off he just yells fake news fake news yep. it's, it's like what the fuck is happening here what is going on what have i just switched on here what's happening why are we starting here nicholas windenreff and why are you breaking my brain so early <laughs> right and then Martin, uh, or the lieutenant says, Martin, why hast thou forsaken me? And Martin says, uh, it's time to go. You know, uh, I'm moving on. And I'm moving on up to the east side. Yeah. Things are going to work out great for Martin. Um, and yeah, well, the, the crazy dad's out the way. The, the daughter will inherit all fucking, the money right and yep. she's 18 now so he's not doing anything illegal anymore yeah everything's coming up martin right and um then the lieutenant is like judas i knew it was you and he's like yeah. I, well actually that's you know 
a little harsh. I just meant uh, I had such high hopes for you. And uh, he's Mar- like that, but I told you to follow the universe, right? So maybe it's my fault, <laughs> right? It's my fault because you're going with the flow, man. And then Melvin shows up to play Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. And by the way, did you notice that Locker Up is written on the dry erase board behind him? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, so on. This is like to me, this is him just like everything about this scene is just. Nicholas Winden ref and just having fun and taking a stab at something and then doing nothing else with it. Yeah, it's it's just him saying like, "Hey, cops are kind of a fascist institution, and these are probably mm-hmm. all these kind of ultra right wing kind of kind of jerks." And then anyway, it, like after the play is done, all the cops like applaud and start chanting Jesus, you know, Jesus, Jesus, yeah. Jesus. And then the lieutenant says, "Martin." I forgive you and I release you from your vow to serve this community. And then puts a chip in his mouth like Martin is taking communion. Mm-hmm. And then again, in his weird, effeminate voice, he's like, now don't spend all your silver in one place. <laughs> and then fucks off behind the curtain. And it's o- amazing. Opening it's amazing. scene done. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's fucking crazy. And so we leave Martin and you know the not ready for cop time actors uh to catch up with Jesus and Yuritsa. And I think this is the first time we've kind of cut back and forth between Martin and Jesus and Yuritsa. Yeah, so this this is essentially we've said this before. All the the stories have been kind of building up towards this time where they would occupy the same space and time. So we've been alternating usually between episodes between characters, um, but specifically like seven, but more so in eight, they are almost sharing the same amount of screen time. Yeah, um, which is unusual. But in a way, it was all we've said since the beginning. This is always going to be heading this way. It, it's just taken when you think about how a movie's structured because that's essentially what Wyndham Refn says it is very similar to how Lynch said Twin Peaks of Return which by the way the longer this has went on the more I think that comparison is totally apt <laughs> um, I agree yeah oh it really really is and if this is well if this is the post Lynch the returned world I don't ever want to go back to the way things were, right? I genuinely don't. I want my brain to constantly feel like it's been broken by Bane um, and a backbreaker thing and fucking funk the side. But um, I was I was raised in Lynch, born, yeah. <laughs> molded. Um, so yeah, so like we're now getting like about equal time, and the these characters are now on a. We know they're on a collision course because. He just now knows his name. He doesn't seem like the sort of guy to sit on anything for a long while. Right. Yes. We move over to Jesus and Rita, who are evaluating, like Alfonso has found a, a new property for them, mm-hmm. which is this kind of horse ranch near some train tracks. And um, Yuritza says, well, where, where are you going to do the thing? Mm-hmm. And so Alfonso takes them to this barn and Yaritza says, okay, th- this is fine. What's in the other barn? And in the other barn uh, are a bunch of horse stalls where a bunch of women are held. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Duncan, Yaritza, not a giant fan of women being trafficked. Yeah, which I think when we get to the end of the episode, I think me and you have, I think that becomes a very large point as to where I think the last two episodes are going. Yes, 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 yes. 
So the then we go back to Janie, who is now reporting the the disappearance of Theo. It's been five days mm-hmm. since uh, Martin murdered Theo. Yeah. <laughs> that we know she doesn't know right right because she's saying uh, the, the detective is like well were you the last person to see your father alive and she says no actually i think my boyfriend saw him um and she's like uh, the, the cop is like okay your boyfriend and uh where does he work and she's like uh he's a cop and immediately <laughs> the detective like, is like uh, <laughs> uh, i'm sorry a, 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 a cop and she's like yeah and she's like and how does this cop <laughs> 30 i think she's 30 or 32 or something and she's like right and then when did you two first meet and jenny's like why are we talking about me and martin when we should be talking about my dad here my dad my missing dad you know and the cop's like mm, yeah but i kind of need you to answer my questions here kind of need you to answer my questions and so she she grills her a little bit um on this and like <laughs> I think we should ask about her being sexually active or something. And once again, it's all very awkward. And this police officer is all, re- all very, hmm, right, take all these notes down. Uh, and they're going to follow shit up. And that's not going to be good for Martin. Right, right. And and the the cop says something that is very, like, hey, th- this is a, an issue. Where she's like, look, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. This, oh, isn't, yes. this isn't you. But, you know, what you're saying is very serious. Mm-hmm. And so Janie's like, "Well, I'm not trying to get him in trouble," and she's like, "No, no, no, you're not in trouble, but you know, potentially your dickhead boyfriend might be." And th- so then we leave that to go to a scene that's kind of reminiscent of a scene between Diana and Vigo we talked about, where they're kind of walking around and talking, mm-hmm. where they're sort of chasing each other through the scene. And there's a little bit of that here, but it's Diana and Martin walking along the side of a pool. And she is saying, like, hey, it must be a relief for you not to be a cop anymore. And Martin's like, wait, you know, I got a lot more time now. And she says, well, time is a river that flows both ways. And it's also a flat circle. Yes, it's a flat circle. And then she says, okay, the the next name for you is Redford. Yep. And Martin says, hey, what did this Redford guy do? And Diana doesn't say she just says she was six. Yeah. And and, like, right. No. Like, no, that's not good. And Martin says, Well, were there others? And Diana says, There will be. And Vigo knows where to find this guy. So we we cut over to Vigo and Martin in Vigo's truck. And Vigo's listening to, of course, his favorite conspiracy show. And Vigo is coughing a lot. He does not seem to be doing well. Mm-hmm. And so when we we arrive at this kind of like abandoned parking structure. Or something, uh, Vigo is still coughing, and Martin finally is like, look, man, you need to take a seat. And uh, where is this guy? And Vigo's like, oh, this guy's downstairs. And so Martin has to do this solo. So he keeps descending in this structure and sees a tent off in Mm -hmm. the distance. So he thinks that this Redford dude is in the tent, and he's heading towards it when out of the darkness he hears someone cock a shotgun. Yeah, which is a sound that will sober you up real quick. Right, right. It'll tighten the asshole right up. Um, that's been my experience, at least, when I mm-hmm. hear the, the, you know, the chambering of a shell in a shotgun. You're like, oh, things are getting serious. And this dude appears uh, with the shotgun aimed at Martin. And he's like, hey, who are you? And Martin's like, hey, I'm nobody. I'm just <laughs> looking for a place to lay low, man. And... 
he's like, well, you need to lay low somewhere else. Get the fuck out of here. And Martin says, hey, is your name Redford? And he's like, yeah, why? He's like, oh, my mom sent you or your mom sent me. And Redford lowers the shotgun by about seven degrees. Yeah. And Martin. Enough, though. <laughs> yeah. Martin pulls a gun and just shoots him repeatedly until uh the guy's just dead and all this is kind of done in this like silhouette where they're, oh, yeah. they're framed v- visuals and- like yeah we're describing a very rudimentary scene but like it's fucking gorgeous to look at it's yes it's a beautiful scene and and something that uh again you know like refin does this as well or better than anybody which is I'm going to take a tense scene and frame it in a way that makes it look like you could take any frame of this and and put it on your wall. You know, it's just beautiful. And so uh, after he murders Redford, uh, Martin goes back up to Vigo and is like, hey, man, you don't look good. You need to go to a doctor. And Vigo's like, no, man, I just need to go home, which is where Martin takes him. Mm -hmm. And when he takes him home, he, he gets... Vigo to Vigo's bedroom and onto his bed and he asks you know hey is there anything I can do and Vigo says you can hold me and so Martin does he like you know sits down on the bed beside Vigo and puts his arms around him and eventually Vigo just crawls his way up into the bed not looking great again he is Vigo's in real rough shape so Martin leaves his bedroom and runs into his mother who we haven't seen in a while but you know, listeners, you may recall that the whole reason that Vigo, not the whole reason, but, you know, one of the reasons that Vigo is doing all this work for Diana is that theoretically Diana is going to take care of Vigo's mother who is suffering from dementia when Vigo's gone. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tra- the, the whole fucking thing bums me out. Like, he's like, we all knew that John Holt was on his way out, but. Take off. I'm glad that you said that, because <laughs> um, I was I was too, I was too serious. That we all knew, but the the fact that we're, we're kind of seeing it on the screen now is, and plus Martin doesn't know that you know that 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 baton is about to be passed over, but he already has, and we can see it now. The swords of Damocles hanging over his head in the right fashion, boy. Oh. Um, so he doesn't know any of that, and we're all like, oh no. And yeah, like it's, it's a sad scene. It's a very, very, very sad scene. And the the mother coming through as well, it just reminds you of like that. And this is where this is where Martin's not the same as Hawk because Hawk had that tenderness and care and consideration for you know his for his family. Yeah. Whereas like at no point at all did Martin stop and think about how killing Janie's dad would have an effect on her. Right. Right. Yeah. Like. Vigo is clearly the superior version of Martin. Yeah. And and Martin is, is pretending. Yeah, you know, we talked about it last week that he's pretending to be this moral person when Yeah, he's whole. Yeah, he's just you know, and the fact that now he has a taste for killing, he's just a killer. Mm-hmm. And and that's how he solves the problem. And in fact, even when Vigo is like, "Well, what are you going to do when Janie asks?" You know, he's like, "I probably won't kill her." Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not a sure thing even. And anywho, um then the the like Vigo's mother is like, "Hey, are you my son?" And Martin's like, "Uh, no, lady, I'm just a friend." And she asks Martin to sit down with her, and she says, "She asks Martin, would you like to know about when he died?" Mm-hmm. And Martin's like, "Uh, all right. Are you crazy or something?" Yeah. And then we move to kind of 
the penultimate scene with Martin. Um, yes, I think that's fair. I think in terms of actual proper Martin, Martin right. as we know him. Right, because the rest of the episode, he's not going to say much, as it turns out. No, the rest out. of the episode, he is the proverbial and actual whipping boy of the episode. So, um, yeah, he's we kind of get... And the thing is, as soon as I saw this scene, I was like, that, fuck. Like, before I even saw the camera pan out, I was like, fuck, because this scene is not common for a wind and reffing, like yeah. story. This idea of... He's sitting on at the beach, on a log, with Janie. What are they talking about, Bo? Yeah, they're like, hey, what? Uh, where would you go? Janie's asking him, like, if you could live anywhere, where would you go? Uh, and he's like, uh, I don't know. And Janie's like, you know, I would go to Montana because Sam Neill uh, wanted to go to Montana. And, oh, dreamy, dreamy Sam Neill. Uh, I always wanted to see Montana. <laughs> um, and I do drink the cognac. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, every time I think of the movie Hunt for Red October, I'm like, I should watch the Hunt for Red October again. That's a great movie. I was doing Clue. Oh, I was going uh, uh, Sam Neill from uh, Hunt for Red October. Robot. Like I just thought I'd throw in my bad accent. Oh well, I, you I know, I was doing a bit. It was so bad, I thought it was more Sam Neill. She's like, "Mon Dieu, I do drink the cognac." Oh, I totally forgot about that line. It's been it's been far too long since I've seen Clue is the problem. You can go back and watch fucking Clue. I, I need Clue. to watch Clue. Uh, that's the lesson of this episode is that I need Future to Future DBCC commentary, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, one plus one plus one plus one. Uh, so uh, after she says she wants to go to Montana because like she and her mother were there at one time. They lived in this little house surrounded by flowers, and it was beautiful. And um, also, there was there was a moment where Janie is talking about this dream she had where she woke up and couldn't find a trace of her father in the house mm-hmm. and says, like, it, it, the thing was, it didn't bother me. Yeah. And Martin says, hey, don't worry. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here forever. Yeah. So as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, no. Right. Right. It's like it's like when someone says in a movie that they're two days away from retirement. Yes, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah, it's it, doing the goose from Top Gun. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. Where so then we we move a little further down the beach where Alfonso and a guy named Jaime, who we saw, you know, um, pawning off episodes are going out. Yeah, yeah pawning off the the murder of uh, Damien. Um, so they're hanging out on some rocks and, and they get a phone call, presumably from Jesus. You would imagine so. Yeah. So Alfonso is like, yeah, I've been following this guy all day. He's just here with his girlfriend. He's like, do it now. All right. And they hang it, up. It, it kind of lets out a sigh. They're like, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this is going to be some business. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is Jaime rolls up on Martin and hits him in the fucking head with a tire iron. Well, yeah, they come up behind him, and Martin spins around to take his gun out, but before he knows it, he takes a tire iron to the head. And then, yeah, this was unexpected, if I'm honest. Um, but this show is just going to continually boot me in the balls. Um, yeah, the other guy walks up with a gun yeah. and sh- shoots Jamie in the eye. Yeah, shoots her in the face, drops her, and then shoots her some more. Yeah. The hashtag triple tack. <laughs> hashtag triple tap. Yep. And, and my note here is, holy fuck. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> That's why I was like, is I watching it? 
Yeah, it was truly shocking. Yeah. Uh, to not not necessarily that they hit Martin like that, but that they murdered Janie in cold blood. Like she is like to say her death is unceremonious mm-hmm. is to undersell it. Like it is swift and especially for a refin uh, story. Like it's just hey, you know, as soon as the the gun is pointed at her, she does one little quick like inhalation and then she's yeah. murdered. Yeah, this is this is the the way I describe this is like it's plot whiplash. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where you 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 don't you see what's happening on the screen, but the full ramification of what you've seen doesn't register correctly, and then it's just like this numbness that starts to come up. Where you're like, did they just kill her? Right? What what does that mean? And all that. But from I I I get it from Wyndham Reference point of view, the vehicle to get Martin away from uh, Janie as a character and to there can't have her still around because she'll go to the police. So yeah, get rid of her, and we don't need that character anymore. It's as cold as that. Yeah, that character is surplus to requirements. Um, and now Martin has been captured by Jesus, and as we remember from the previous episode. Um, Things are not great when you're captured by Jesus. It's not a party. No, no. Uh, in fact, what they have done is chained Martin up in the barn. Yep. And so they're on a the ranch because yeah. cowboys, when the ref loves cowboys. Sure. And, and they're beating the ever-living shit out of him. Mm-hmm. And Jesus grabs a bullwhip with what is hanging in the barn. Well, yeah, he, he chews everyone out and then walks over to Martin and then basically tells him, yeah, while Polly grabs his bullwhip, he says to his face, he's like, listen, I know what you did, and I'm just telling you right now, I am going to I'm gonna make you feel pain. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to destroy you for three days, and then you'll die. Yeah. And, and, and Martin asks what happened to Janie, and... And <laughs> uh, Jesus says the same thing that happened to my mother. I shot her in the face. Which, once again, when you understand what that means, specifically from like a cartel point of view as well, though. But if you shoot someone in the face, you don't get an open casket. Right, right. right? And she is this beautiful woman that everyone keeps talking about and fantasizing about. He didn't get that. So she didn't have a beautiful death. She had this death that she had to have a close casket. It's vicious. Probably one of the reasons he's so damaged as a character amongst other things. But yeah, he's a chore in a fairly same way. And Martin actually does look a little bit remorseful here, but it will climb up very, very, very quickly as he just starts to lay into Martin's back with a bill whip, every crack tearing his shirt um, and leaving a welt. And um, that goes on for a while, Bo. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, like, we get one look at Yuritsa giving water to uh the 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 girls in the yeah. barn and this I- is the following morning and it was one of those scenes where at first i it didn't click to me i thought these were people that were also being tortured but then it suddenly dawned to me these are the women they traffic and then it suddenly once again dawned back to me that's what this cartel makes its money from yes yes and and i was like oh yuritsa's now involved with the one thing we know that she can't abide Right, and we'll get to it. Uh, we are we are right around the corner because basically there are two threads going on in in the latter half of this episode, which yep. are Jesus beating the shit and whipping Martin, which he does at great length on the screen. By the way, that this is once again this will remind you that you're watching a Nicholas Winden reference, but once it, also Passion of the Christ. 
Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. These prolonged sequences of torture, which we've been kind of we've been hinting that this is what maybe be an influence on this show, and they were getting that. Um, and yeah, so instead of doing what we've done all the way up to here, we're now splitting the show into Jesus's story and Yuritsa's story. Yes, because she is, <laughs> while he's beating the shit out, or Jesus is beating the shit out of Martin and, and whipping him near to death, um, Yuritsa is kind of there waiting for him every night. Mm-hmm. And the the first <laughs> the first round is uh, when he comes home, and there's a great moment where Yuritsa goes into like the new house that they're living in, and there's just some guard kind of playing cards or whatever at a table, and she's like, "Hey, get the fuck out of here, and don't ever come back." And he's like, "Oh, uh, see, si, Senora," and then fucks off because he knows you know Yuritsa's rough business. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus comes in a little later. And uh, Yuritsa is waiting for him in the bedroom, and she unbuckles his belt and then gives him what I like to call a relaxation hand job. I call it a tugger rub. A tugger rub. And, but she's not really looking at him while she's doing it. No, she's not with that, but she keeps pulling him by presumably the testicles like yeah. forward into it. So this is, this is not. Not to demean anyone's taste. This is not what I would call a good hand job. This is a painful... And it, the way his head is as well, he's kind of bowed, subservient. It's kind of like a demeaning hand job, if you know what I mean. It's Yes, it is not what you would call a romantic hand job. It no. Is, it, it is rough and tumble. And, like, at one point, he's kind of like, uh, 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 and yeah. she just spits in his mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. She you, like she spits in it once again. Degradation. Um, he shoots, which she then rubs on his chest and then puts her fucking just coated hands deep inside his mouth. Uh huh. Fucking rams her hand and he starts gagging a little bit on it. And then we start to realize. Well, we already knew that Jesus was a bit of a deviant. Uh, had a bit of a wild side, and we also knew that the way Yuritsa has got to him is by playing into this idea of his dark fantasies, particularly around his mother, right, as a way to manipulate. And she's doing very well at that, and we'll see how that escalates shortly. Um, <laughs> but once she's done that, her wifely duty, so to speak, that's that over. Yeah, yeah. There's no tenderness. There's no a hug in bed or anything like that. That's that done and right next scene right and and speaking of the next scene it's like jesus going off for his day's work in the barn whipping <laughs> uh martin who's unconscious he's not yeah. even reacting now yeah and and yuritsa is watching alfonso who is taking some of his crew into this other barn where the ladies are held for a good time mm. and yuritsa does not look cool with this at all no, well, he doesn't help things by kind of half-blowing her a kiss before he closes the door. You're just fucking with the wrong woman. Right, right. And so this is going to pay off immediately because <laughs> while Jesus is, you know, up to his dark business, um, two of the women from the barn are, are like, they put bags over their heads and are being loaded into a van, mm-hmm. uh, presumably to be sold, you know? Yeah, you would think so. And Yuritsa follows in her car to this out-of-the-way motel where she is now, like, she's got her, you know, skull and eyeball jacket on. Like, she has become the the high priestess of death. 
Yeah, this is she's got her outfit on. This yes. is her killing outfit, and I am so happy. Right. When you see this, it's like, oh, oh my god, the woman I love is about to do something heinous. Yeah. Plus plus she's packing her little pistol with the the you know, the engraving, but she's also packing one of those butterfly knives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, oh fuck. Which she uses at first when she goes up to some dude who's like on a payphone and and he recognizes her he's like hey what are you doing here and she just immediately cuts his throat yeah she drops him like a sack of potatoes right and then with a knife in one hand and her gun in the other she proceeds to the the pair of rooms where these girls are being held and murders everybody in the room it with a combination of stabbing them in the heart neck or or shooting them in the face Mm -hmm. and she takes down what like four dudes in about two seconds yeah she like this is this is like matrix style like precision she just goes around and everyone's dropped and then the women are okay right and she has performed her duty as a high priestess of death rescuing these women who have been accosted and held captive um Oh wait, we so, got to talk about the Nazi dude. So they're, the they're... Nazi dude is kind of amazing. Like and like once again, this is Wyndon Ref and having fun. Yeah. So there's one of the girls is in a room with a dude who has a Nazi flag over the bed, and mm-hmm. also there is blood on this girl. Like he has clearly done something awful, and he is sitting naked on the edge of the bed, and Yarita shoots him in the dick. Yep. <laughs> And lets him squirm for a minute before putting the final bullet in him. I believe where she shot him was um, the Diak. The Diak, right. Yeah. Right in the Diak. Oh, no, not the Diak. Oh, that hurts my parts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it it's brutal. And then she tells the girl in this bed, she's like, hey, get your sister, and I want you to tell everyone the high priestess of death saved you. and then puts on some sunglasses and uh you know she wears her sunglasses at night fucking aviators as well (laughs) right and just kind of smiles to herself as these girls take off oh so good man so like she's she's now post-killing um, so she's all in this kind of post-killing glow. She's all like euphoric and all the rest, and she's going to go back, and she's going to have herself some good time by once again um, manipulating her her husband uh, with the stuff that he likes. Well, he uh, he has brought his whip to bed. Yep, as you do. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, you want to get freaky? I can mm-hmm. get freaky." So she takes the whip from him. And even in my notes, I was like, she is about to fuck him with this whip. That is 100% where this is headed. And so she wraps the whip around his neck. Yeah. Chokes him with it for a second. Then puts the handle of the whip in her mouth, kind of fillets it. Mm-hmm. And licks it. And then into the old brown eye it goes. Yeah, right up there. And she roughly fucks him. Yes. And my note here was, they are quite an adventurous couple. Yeah, I mean, like, in the timeline here, they've clearly... I don't even think they've been married four months ago. Yeah, this is one of those things, like, what do you do to top this? Yeah, eventually that tapers out pretty quick. Sure. Like, once you have been jerked off by your wife, fed your own semen, and then she... Choked you as she fucked you in the the rear, as they say, (laughs) with the handle of a bullwhip. I mean, I'm sure there are places to go. 
Yeah, we're just seeing chess isn't going to cut. <laughs> right, like, missionary is never a thing again. You you have cut yourself off from a, a, a whole variety of sexual positions that are just mm-hmm. never going to get you hard again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, oh my goodness. And then we we kind of reach the the conclusion of the episode which well, we've had day three we're moving into so. yeah we've had three days of him you know whipping martin so he just comes in the barn the the last day the third day and his underwear in his underwear and boots yeah uh, which reminded me a bit of the cow from top secret and made me laugh <laughs> and holding a machete uh and yeah. he tells machete. <laughs> machete don't text <laughs> and he tells Yuritsa, it's time. And when it's done, I want you to bring everything from my mother's house here. Mm-hmm. Because this is now sacred ground. And yeah. we live here now. Yeah. And Yuritsa gives him a smile that says, all right, do do your thing, man. And they let Martin out of his chains. And he's just... If, if oh, his back is a fucking mess. Right. This is like the Denzel Washington glory scene times a million. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he seems to be, if not unconscious, at least mostly unresponsive. Yeah. And like they let him out of the chains. And then... <laughs> Uh, Jesus raises the the machete above his head, and there was a point where it was like, "Oh, he's playing possum," and then this is where he's gonna well, this fight is what, back. Like, yeah, this is like every TV show, every movie you have ever seen, everything in Western culture, bro, tells you that in this scene, the show either stops right at this point, and you know, next week our hero will be saved, or someone's coming through that door. Or he's going to have a change of heart, or Yuritsa's going to kill him, or something. Because that is how stories are told. Yes. Except, that's not what happens. No. Instead, Jesus fucking cuts off Martin's head. Yeah, we don't see the head come off, but we we hear Uh, the noise. Right, and and as if, because I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, well maybe he didn't really kill him. Yeah. And then, as if Refn read my mind, it was like, no, no, he's dead. Because Jesus then goes to fucking town uh, going after this body. And then this is cut with images of like Yuritsa watching. And there's also this weird like collage of these black eyed uh, or a black eyed silver painted woman with multiple like. It's like you're seeing her in a, a mirror or something that's refracted. Yeah, Bo, Bo. Mm-hmm. This is lynching. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Right, like, I, got, I got so excited because I was like, this is two steps. This is two steps away from Twin Peaks. You know, this, yeah. this might as well be like Bob and fucking, you know, Cooper, like staring into each other, maniacally laughing in the Black Lodge while their eyes turn white. You know what I mean? This is, you know, this is Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. No, this, is, this is a neon Black Lodge. It's what this is. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, again, it, it to say I was stunned by the events of this episode is is underselling it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, yeah. I, I, I was genuinely shocked by the fact that, like, oh, what is presumably the main character is just dead now. Yeah, and then it suddenly starts to dawn on me that, 
you know, who who's the who's the righteous character that's been doing things that we would consider good throughout this show? Okay, so let's get into this. Let, let's... Right. So this is this is the pivot that I think me and you are going on. That everything up to this point has basically been the the origin story, so to speak, of who probably realistically, unless Refn is going to do some sort of weird head fuckery here, um, who has been our protagonist of the show then. Yeah. All right. So I think where all of this is headed, like clearly Yuritsa is the the character that we're talking about here. That is, she is the one who is the the moral character. Well, yeah, she's the one that's saving these women that are being oppressed, raped, and tortured. She's the only one that's actually killing bad people properly and not for her benefit, for the benefit of others. Well, she is one of two characters that is doing this. Well, yes, because she, if anything, is the just killer that Gina Malone has been looking for all along. Right. So when Vigo goes, I think where this ends is Diana and Yuritsa in it together. Yeah. To, you know, basically go after every every other character, you know, like yeah. or every, every immoral, you know, wrongheaded character. And she's going to wipe out the cartel. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I mean, what what does she have to gain, you know, by staying with Jesus? Like Jesus is ultimately she is still in, in bed with a guy that is condoning the trafficking of these women. It's not even that though. Like he's fully given himself over. Like that's the, like the the rage and the continued swings of that machete. Like you you can look at Yuritsa and say, um, on some level, that what she's seeing in him is all the justification for all the bad shit she's going to do to him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the you know he's crossed. He's you know not only is he oh, he's crossed the line before, but he has finally. He's finally put himself in the position that I can now make my move. And that's exciting. But I'm with you. I think the two characters have a strong sense of um, mysticism, Mm -hmm. uh, spirituality. And one one of them is looking for another one to be the hired gun, so to speak. And the other one is happy to be the hired gun as long as it's doing just things to rescue people. That, of course... Of course it's going that way. We we said something very similar right at the very start that we couldn't wait till those two characters were on the same screen because it appeared that their modus operandi was scarily similar even though we were playing for different teams. Um, and that's, yeah, I'm with you. We have, and the thing is, you told me off air on this one, um, the next episode's about an hour long. The episode after the finale is about half an hour long. So we have what would be an average length of a episode of Too Old to Die Young left. Yeah. To be told over two episodes. Yeah. It, it, I mean, we're almost at the end of this and I'm, again, I, you know, I spent the, this, especially the second episode, the, uh, the hanged man, um, just stunned yeah. by, by what was taking place. Like as soon as Janie gets dropped, I was like, okay, well, all bets are off. I I don't know where any of this is going. Yeah, um, and it didn't even right to the very end. Even though you're you were thinking that, I bet you still thought Martin might get out. Yeah, of course, of course. Which is the well, you know what I mean that that I think we say this sometimes, and I think sometimes we're jovial about it. But I think this is the legitimate time that we can see the fucking balls on Wonder Nathan. <laughs> like to do this, like you you might. 
Like he clearly had no one at Amazon has had any involvement with this project at all. There right. can't be. I know he got the money from Amazon, but ain't no one if anyone was handing him notes, you know, like make this bit short, do like when the ref and put them in the bucket. Because <laughs> right. he has not felt like he's it's almost as if he is purposely now going out his way to subvert expectation in a way that I think is not only daring and interesting, but weirdly unsettling. Like there is, we spoke about earlier on, weirdly that our conversations almost uh, come back around to itself when talking about Stranger Things and the fact that Stranger Things plays into all the cliches that you expect from storytelling, from Western storytelling. You know, if this is going to happen, there's a very good chance that this will happen the next season because that's how we tell stories and, and make audiences feel secure, make them feel comfortable in what they're watching. We'll give them tension, but never push that to the point that they completely distrust the narrative that is going on here and when the reference crossed that line and i'll be honest with you it feels great but i am all sorts of uncomfortable with it you know i i can't find that any level of purchase at all now in a show which is so blatantly open my mouth and span it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah give it's, you the yaritza sure yeah that's and i i I, I think that when we get to the end of this this show, I genuinely think we're going to be talking about this for the rest of the year. I, I can't see how we don't, because it's just, it, it is the post, I said this right at the very beginning, as a kind of offhandish comment of, did you, did I think, or did you think, that maybe this was the post-Lynch Twin Peaks, the return world of Look what this auteur director did. He's kind of changed the goalposts of what we can do. And, right, I'm going to try and do the same thing. I'm going to try and do my version of that. And if this, if that was my like inclination back then, it is 100% my opinion now. There is absolutely no way. And Refn loves lunch, so we shouldn't be surprised. But there's absolutely no way that he has not been heavily influenced when coming to do this show. I think Amazon have done 100% the right thing. Let him do it his way. Don't get involved. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally see anyone who who watches this show... Yeah, we've had this discussion before where if someone watched this show and was like, I don't I don't like anything about this. This makes me feel weird and bad. Mm-hmm. Then I, I get it. You know, this is not a show for everyone. But I think it's... A, it's a show for people who have watched so much television yeah. that when you see something like this, you're like, oh my God, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. And there is something really thrilling about that realization that you're you're in the hands of an unsafe narrator. You yeah, know? you're gonna you, we we are gonna be seeing this for the next couple of years that when we talk about TV shows, I think this is one we're gonna come back to very much like Twin Peaks again and say there's nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of yeah. almost occupies. Refn's almost a law unto himself. You know what I mean when it comes to what he does before he even come to this. But if anything, where other directors may have tried to find the middle ground. I mean, other like Spielberg's made it moves into TV before, and the stuff he's done has just felt just like Spielberg stuff and whatnot. But it's always played in a certain direction where there feels like there's been a conversation somewhere where we're like we need to make this more friendly to this demographic, we need to wrap this up, we need to change the ending here or like that. There are certain filmmakers that just don't play by those rules, and Refn is definitely 
definitely in that camp yeah. and this is a testament to that yeah i'm i'm really excited to see these last two episodes like you and i were talking about this uh just before of like there has never been more of an urge to just hit play on the next episode yeah as, as like but i knew like i hey i gotta do notes on this other show and blah 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 like i can't i can't watch episode nine yet mm-hmm. which means if i watch episode nine i'm gonna have to watch 10 because that's only 30 minutes and that's it done right so uh but I'll, i will watch this very soon uh perhaps even tonight i don't know it depends on what happens but um i'm i'm very excited to see what where this story goes and i think that i think we're right uh you know <laughs> yeah but, but at the end of episode eight we can see what the next episode might look like yeah which is just i i feel like it's going to be the convergence of uh diana and Yuritsa, which makes me all kinds of happy mm-hmm. oh duncan shit so good man so it's, good it's real good uh hey before we get out of here duncan yes um which we're about to do and listeners first of all thanks very much uh for listening um before we leave what are you excited about watching between now aside from the last two episodes of uh too excited to stop watching um (laughs) besides that what what are you excited about uh about seeing in the next week um so before i come back next time there will be the cinema that i go to i have a card called an unlimited card that basically allows me to go as much as i want um, and what they do is they put on these things called secret screenings where you don't know what the movie is and they show it ahead of its release schedule mm-hmm. so you get to see it sometimes like i'm I, like i saw the green book about two months before it was released th- these sort of things um so they have one on monday and my inclination is that it's the new tarantino Ooh, okay so i might be it could be at times the picks up they picked a movie last year called the hate you give which was one of the worst movies i saw last year it was like a child trying to explain to you everything about black lives matter oh yeah it was really 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 bad really really dumb um and critically really well received but i think people were commenting on the message as opposed to the actual movie um but yeah, so I, I might be the new Tarantino. It might be, so we may be sitting here talking about what is my good. There's also a strong chance it may not be a movie that I want to see. And I could be sitting here talking about what is my bad. So I will leave it at that. What about yourself? Um, you know, speaking of, this is uh, semi-related. There, uh, one of the theaters in Nashville is going to be showing... Um, once upon a time in Hollywood on 35 millimeter. Nice. So I think I'm gonna hit that screening up. But uh, um, no, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm gonna watch. This is a little uh, kind of popcorn uh, movie. But uh, I, I'm gonna finally catch up to uh, Alita: Battle Angel. The oh, it's really good actually. That, I know nothing about the source material, but I actually really enjoyed it. So th- that's what I keep hearing, which is like, hey, this movie didn't necessarily do very well, but that ain't the movie's fault it actually is really good um so i'm i'm excited to see that it's one of those things where like now a lot of the movies that came out early this year uh the, like the beginning of summer you know yep. early blockbuster movies are hitting home video so mm-hmm. like when i watched Shazam i watched it on the you know the big screen in the basement and it was wonderful because it was like watching <laughs> watch it in the theater to some degree and uh and it was a great time and i'm looking to uh, you know have a similar experience with Alita Battle Angel, which is another movie I've heard is good, and I get to see it in a theater-adjacent 
kind of experience. Nice. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, but Hey, uh, folks, uh, thanks again for listening. If you would, uh, you know, like, uh, like rate and review and, uh, smash that like button. What are, what else do the kids say, Duncan? Um, like bull whip it up the ass. Bull whip it up the ass, folks. Uh, and and be sure you do it uh, with as much saliva as you can muster. Yeah, um, don't go in dry. Don't go in dry. No, no one. <laughs> don't go in dry is the the title of my biography. <laughs> um, but uh, thanks again for listening. We're gonna be back next week uh, for the finale of this season of Duncan and Bo uh, Come Correct. Um, Mm -hmm. and we will be finishing, uh, too old to die young. And then, uh, we'll we'll be off for, uh, you know, just a a couple of weeks, really. And then it's Mindhunter. Uh, is Mindhunter before Terror? Yeah. The Terror's out in October. Mindhunter's out in August. That's right. August 12th. So we will be back with uh, season two of Mindhunter, um, which is going to be great because Duncan and I are both, uh, stupid for serial killer stories. (laughs) We are, and we both happen to love that guy Fincher and can't wait to see what they do with the second season of this show. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. So uh, until next week, um, thanks everyone and say goodnight, Duncan. Say goodnight, Duncan. Oh, you see, uh, subverting expectation. Mm-hmm. I did the say goodnight on it. Uh-huh. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>